Well, good morning. Good to see you all. Some with red faces, some without. But uh, we had a good day yesterday and thankful for God's provision. Um, several ways we saw, I think, God at work uh, throughout this past week. And certainly I think He worked through many of you as you uh, worked and prayed for this event. And um, one of the things that was a challenge leading up to this week was that this parking lot was going to be closed because um, Jim over there at the archery uh, retail store uh, was going to be open. And so we weren't going to be able to use that and have to do it all on this side of the church. And parking was going to be a challenge. And, um, and the Lord worked that out so that He actually closed uh, when He normally would have been open. And that worked out really well for us to have the event on that side. Um, I think the parade was really effective in, in just letting people know that we're going to have this event. And uh, we were happy with the number of people that came out and the, the good conversations that we were able to get into with with several of the people. And um, I'm glad to have Cynthia here today. She was here yesterday enjoying some hot dogs and a good time with her granddaughter. So glad to have you here today. Just moved into the area from Pennsylvania, my wife was telling me. Okay. Good. Glad to have you. Well, what we do in, um, and what we have been doing is, is working our way through some of the, uh, the, um, the doctrines of Scripture. So, uh, several years ago, we started out with some basic things about the Christian life. And we're kind of more in the um, advanced part of, of our understanding of, of the things of life. And this is a class that we've been going through on biblical counseling. And uh, this is a 13-week class, and we are in the 11th week of that class. And we're going to take a little bit of a, a hiatus here in the next three weeks to just introduce people to our church. So we've, we, one of the things that we recommended people to come to yesterday was that starting the next, next week and then the next two weeks after that, uh, we're, we're going to be just introducing people to our church. What, who are we? What, what are we about? What do we believe? And... Um, and uh, just to give people in, in a window into to who we are and, and what we believe. So, but, but this week we do want to continue our study on, on biblical counseling. And our study comes from a book by Paul Tripp that I highly recommend. And uh, just a good, good book to, um, to just work your way through. It's called Instrument, Instruments in the, in the Redeemer's Hand. And uh, that's really what we're seeking to be as believers, our responsibility is to recognize that we are people in need of change and we're working to help other people in need of change. And really the best counselors, Paul Tripp would say, and I think it's consistent with the Scriptures, the best counselors are those who are good at counseling themselves. Right? Those who know how to look at, evaluate life's circumstances properly and then say, you know what, this is how I ought to be thinking about this. And Perhaps you've carried on conversations with yourself before, like I have, when you come to a, a challenge in life and you're, you're thinking wrongly about it and you, you carry on this conversation like, I, I shouldn't be thinking like that. I should be thinking like this. And, uh, and so you will become a better minister of the truth to other people when you minister that truth to yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that you're never going to need help from other people, okay? Because we always have blind spots. Just like when you're driving down the road, there's always blind spots. And 
and you need other people to, to kind of, hey, you know, do you see what's going on here? Do you see the sin that's going on in your life? And do you see that needs to be corrected? That's not consistent with how Christians are supposed to live. And so we want to um, be humble in recognizing that we need to change, but also we need to be looking out for others and encouraging other people. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4, and this is kind of the key verse for this whole um, set of lessons, and that is that we must speak the truth to one another in love. Right? So we took several weeks to talk about the primary goal, which is to see a genuine heart change. It's not enough for us to just see behavioral change. Okay? So if we have a kid that's behaving badly and we want to speak the truth to them, our goal is not to just see them to stop the behavior or to change their behavior because ultimately the, the heart is still what is at stake. And so we took several weeks to look at that. And then we talked about love, the fact that, that we need love to do this. We can't just go around like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal telling everybody what the truth is. Even if it is truth, that's not the way to do it. We do it in love. And so we took a couple of weeks to talk about that. Now we've looked at these four main aspects of how we speak the truth to one another in love. And the way that Paul Tripp lays it out is love, know, speak, and do. So we talked about love. Then knowing is trying to understand what is at stake. So if there's a struggle that someone's dealing with, we want to come alongside of them and look at it uh, what is the challenge that is there? What is the sin problem, potentially? You know, sometimes when we're helping helping people, we're not actually dealing with sin problems. We're dealing with you know some kind of trial that they're going through. So don't don't just think, well, they're going through a trial; it's automatically sin. But understand the challenge. Okay, understand it. Don't assume that you know, and then try to speak to to help them. Seek to understand the challenge, and then speak. Um, we want to actually. Speak the truth to them. That's what we spent the last two weeks talking about. We want to try to to categorize what the the challenge is into four manageable hooks. We want to understand what's going on. We under, want to understand what they're thinking about what's going on, what their motives are, and how they're responding to all those things. And then based on that, that will help us to be able to know how to speak to them based on what the Scriptures teach on each of those four hooks. Alright, so now we want to turn our attention to um, this fourth aspect. And we're going to take two weeks to do this, this week, and then four weeks from today, well, actually five weeks, because four weeks from today, my family are, are, is going to be in Iowa, and Bill Wilson is going to be teaching. So it's actually five weeks from today, uh, we'll finish up this do part, and then have a couple more, or one more session after that uh, in this series. When I was... Uh, I was 22 years old when I um, when I asked Jennifer to marry me, but but you know I did not know how to love her properly. You know we were both committed Christians when we got married, and and we both wanted to do marriage God's way, but we lacked wisdom and maturity, and we needed to learn how to better apply the principles of Scripture to our specific relationship. And I can tell you that 15 years later that we continue to learn how to love each other by applying God's truth to, to our lives. And if you've been married for longer than that or shorter than that, I think you can attest to the same thing. That you're still learning how to love your spouse. 
right? You don't just come in there and say, okay, I'm all set. Now let me just put this all into practice. No, we, we learn as we go, and that's a good thing. We should always be seeking to learn. And can I suggest to you that when you and I came to Christ, we didn't know how to love God and others properly? And that now that we are 5 or 10 or 40 years removed from the time in which we first believed, we are still learning how to take the principles of Scripture and apply them to our lives in a way that shows that we love God and that we love others. And that means that the change that we need requires a deeper understanding of the things of God and a more careful application of those truths and that we have never we will never get to a place where we have arrived. Okay, so it's not when you get done with some point in your life. Okay, once I've reached this status, once I become, you know, once I get through this set of classes, once I become a leader in the church, then I've arrived and I don't have to learn anymore. No, we never get to that place. The change that is needed in in us as Christians is a lifelong process. And we will not be finished with that process of change until we graduate to heaven. Is that true? Okay, so we need people who can help us change and um, and see how to correct our sin problems and, and, and to give us the proper perspective. Remember, when we talk about these challenges that come, whether it be a trial, and we may be looking at it wrongly, like, you know, this trial is coming to my life, God is punishing me. Okay, or if it's a sin problem, you know, I think I can get more satisfaction out of this sin than out of obeying God. Okay, So if someone has that sort of perspective, what we're trying to do is, remember, we're trying to help them see it from God's perspective. And, and that's really where the change starts to happen. It is now start to see it from how God sees it, and that's when you're really going to see genuine change. Again, I think every other form of trying to help someone is actually going to move them to a only a surface-level change, a behavioral change. And we're working to see uh, their hearts change, which is only something that God can do. That's why we want to speak the truth to them. Um, one of the challenges of, of just working with people and even with ourselves is it's difficult to know how to correct the, the problems. And what what we tend to do is have a short-term perspective. We tend to see our challenge or our sin problem only in short-term. Well, if I want satisfaction, I'm going to do this. But if we think about it in long-term, that actually doesn't provide long-term satisfaction. And, and so um, we need to help people to see that to move away from the, immediate, the immediacy of the pleasure and move toward a, an eternal pleasure. And um, sometimes we do damage to ourselves when, when we're constantly um, making bad choices. This is what can tend to happen with, with people who are undisciplined and people who are just led by their own sinful pleasures. They tend to make bad decision upon bad decisions. And so when they're in the midst of this mire and this difficulty and they've made a series of bad decisions then it's hard for them to it's hard for us to help them to have a long-term perspective when they're working on trying to put out the fires around them right you know it's it's like at your job 
when when you have all these little projects that have to be done right now, it's hard to think of the long-term perspective of what are we doing here as a company? What are we trying to accomplish? What is my main goal? And so one of the things that you're going to have to help people do is actually help them put out some of the fires so that they can start to fix their eyes on God. And, and sometimes that comes by the way of financial help. Sometimes that comes in the way of you know, relational conflict, trying to resolve relational issues. Um, but, but even Christians can be, can be led away in their thoughts and, and move from a long-term eternal perspective and God's desires to their own uh, sinful desires and toward more worldly perspective. Can you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11? I'm just try to prove this point here from Paul's uh, writing to the Corinthian church. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is concerned about this this young church. And obviously, if you know the story of what's taken place in 1 Corinthians, there's a significant amount of challenges and a significant amount of pressure that, that this church in Corinth has. And um, here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. In other words, when you first believed, you had a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived, that you also will be deceived and you will be drawn away from that primary focus in life. Paul's saying, listen, I've hovered over you like a teacher. And, and the reason that I have stayed so closely to you and kept close, um, uh, kept a close guard on you is because I want you to understand that you cannot forget to whom you belong. That your primary focus must be on devotion to Christ. And um, so as Christians, we need to remind each other that, that the biggest thing that we face is not abandonment from God or punishment from God. Right? Those, God has already abandoned His Son and punished His Son for you. So if you're a Christian, God will not abandon you. He will not punish you. Instead, the, the thing that we should recognize that God is pursuing in us most comes out of His jealous love for us. That He is like a, a husband who is, who is being betrayed by his wife. And so, when He is like um, Haggai, right? The, no. Who's the one with the Gomer? Hosea. Alright, I was thinking Habakkuk? No. Haggai? Okay, Hosea. Um, so one of those eight prophets, he had a wife who who was an adulteress. God told him to marry her, and he married her, and then she went back into adultery, right? And God told her, told him, you know, you need to go back to her. And the point that he was making was, if you look at in chapters uh, four through eight, I think is is that God is that way with His people. That even though His people are adulterous against Him in the sense that they turn towards spiritual idolatry, 
That's, that's really what spiritual adultery is in the Scriptures. It's idolatry. When they turn to other gods, God jealously goes after them because, hey, I am your husband, right? And that's the way that, that God treats us. And we turn from Him. We don't face abandonment from Him. We don't face the, the threat of punishment from Him. The, the thing that we face is His jealous love. And we, we should recognize that even if it, it's going to hurt us, He's going to bring us back. Okay, But that, don't see that as punishment. Um, he, he is doing what is best for us. He is preparing us for the future wedding. And He's doing so by exposing our wandering hearts and our foolish minds and call, causing us to forsake our own glory for His glory and teaching us that idols never satisfy He's teaching us to live for treasures that cannot be destroyed. He's teaching us what it means to live in a way that recognizes our identity within the family of God. In other, in other words, our whole life is premarital counseling because we belong to the groom, Jesus, and God is preparing you as a Christian for that wedding that you are, for which you are created and redeemed. The challenge is, you know, when we think about it in those terms, like, yes, yes, God, prepare me for that. You know, take me through whatever's necessary to keep me pure. But the challenge for us is that we always face this tendency toward nowism, as Paul Tripp calls it. That is, we forget about who we are, that we are betrothed to Christ. We forget about what Christ is doing, that He's preparing us for the final wedding. We forget about what we're supposed to be doing, which is, We're supposed to be remaining faithful to Him. And so when we are focused on the nowism, we focus only on what we want, and in turn we fail to solve our problems, and we, we, as a result, create more problems. So if we're going to help people who need to change, one of the key things that we need to do is help change their perspective and help them to see less with a perspective of now and more with a perspective of then. Okay. Can you think of real life examples? Don't don't you know, raise your hand and tell me, but can you think of real life examples of people in our church who, who you, you've seen maybe in the last couple months or in the last year who were so focused on the now that they missed the then perspective. And they, they they see things as the only thing that's going on are my circumstances. Now I'm thankful that we have lots of other examples in our church, and I, and I can think of some examples as well, even in my own life, of times when I just thought about the now, you know, it, it, within the last year. But I'm thankful for examples in our church of people who are thinking about the then, even in the midst of their difficult circumstances. I think of some of the, the, the people in our church and the, the, the difficult challenges that they're going through, and I can't imagine going through those myself. And yet I see them in the face of those challenges, standing up, standing firm in their faith and, and not ready to deny the gospel, not ready to give up, even though the trials sometimes go on for weeks and years. And um, so that's what we want to, to help people to do. We want to help them to be like that. So point them to good examples like that, by the way. You know, say, what about this person in our church who's going through this trial? Have you seen how they responded through this? I mean, they haven't given up. And and yet you, at the first sign, shouldn't come out this way too. It sounds a little bit harsh. But, but you, at the first sign of difficulty, are ready to give up? I mean, can, can you imagine what this other person is going through? 
what this other couple is going through. And, and point them to good examples because that actually encourages people to say, you know what, that is somebody that I need to look to. I, I need to talk to those people. I need to find out about what it is that makes them tick. What, what is it that, that keeps them going? And um, that also means if we're going to pe- give people a long-term perspective that sometimes difficulty will be part of the solution. In fact, many times difficulty will be part of the solution. Okay, Take, for example, a couple, a Christian couple who are struggling with thoughts of divorce. Okay, Should we get a divorce? You know, if we're thinking about only the now, we're going to encourage them, you know what? You can actually give more of your time to serve God if you didn't have your spouse. If that's all we're thinking. Okay, but we're not thinking about what God's perspective is and we're not actually thinking about what will help that person the most. I mean, does not God know who it is that came to be married to that person? Right? The quick fix in our our culture is, is very... Um, quick to do this sort of thing. The quick fix is divorce. You know, we just we irreconcilable differences. We we can't do this anymore. Um, but if a person really is going to have change, then then we're going to have to encourage them. You know what? That's actually not the best fix. It may be the quick fix, but it's not the long term fix. And and what what um, you know what the culture is not going to tell you about that divorce that seems to be, hey, this, you know, we'll just kind of separate our own ways. It, it creates a lot more problems. Okay, and those of you who are um, children of divorced parents know what this is like. Okay, those of you who've been through this understand that there's all sorts of ramifications for your children and for others. I mean, it's not easy. And, and so actually it's not the best thing. Um, when you have two, particularly two believers that okay, I'm referring to. Obviously, I think the Scriptures allow for divorce. Okay, so I, I don't have time to get into all that. Um, but if you go to Matthew 18, you'll see that there are legitimate reasons for a person to be divorced. Um, but, but we tend to, to jump to that pretty quickly so that we can kind of get rid of the problem. And that's because we're, even as a, a person who's trying to minister to the person, we're trying to just fix the problem real quick, kind of put a band-aid, and the band-aid tends to be the the divorce idea. All right, so if we're going to uh, we're going to help them to do that's what we're thinking about today. Okay, we're going to speak the truth in love to them, and then we're going to help them to actually change. Then we need to think about some ingredients that are needed for change. Okay, so the final aspect of this model, love, know, speak, do, is do. This aspect teaches us how to apply the truths that we learned about our daily lives. So in the speak part of that, of that model, we're trying to show them from the Scriptures, hey, here's what the Bible says. Remember how we talked about last week? We tried to take the Word of God and instead of using it as a, a whip or a sword, we use it as a mirror like the Scriptures talk about it. And we point them to the Scripture and say, hey, look at yourself in the mirror of God's Word. Is this how Christians live? You know, sometimes it's just you've got to convince them first. Sometimes they already know that there's a problem. They just don't know how to change it. So take them to examples in Scripture 
and, uh, and help them to, to see the change. And then once they do that, now you want to help them to start applying it. Because here, here's the thing, is you can get people to actually see the truth. Like, they know they're wrong, they see the truth, and they can even commit to it. But you actually, as I, as I said last week, real change doesn't happen until there's real change. Okay? Real change happens when, when it actually happens. So it's not enough to just for the person to see it and to commit to it. We want to actually see it happen. So let's lead them in that way. And one of the main links between them committing to do it and them actually, do it, actually doing it is helping them to apply it. You need to tell them about specific ways in which they can apply the Scriptures. So, you know... Um, a guy that's struggling with um, thoughts of hatred, okay, and they're just escalating. He rages in anger. Okay, you show them the scriptures about anger. You show him how Christians are not to be sinfully angry, and then you help him apply it. Right now, the next step is, okay, and he's like, "Yes, I see that, and I need to do that. I need to stop doing that." But yet, every time he comes to talk to you, he just keeps telling you about situations where he had to respond this way, right? So here's the link. Okay? Help help him to see how to apply it. Okay? So specifically, here's how you need to start treating your children. Here's how you need to respond after you've committed the sin of of sinful anger, right? You need you need to go back to that person and restore that relationship. Um so so if we're going to help people, one of the key things is is helping them to to connect the dots, give them application. And that's why I say the better you are at doing this in your own life, the better you're going to be able to help other people when they have these same kinds of struggles. All right. Any questions, comments so far? All right, in order to see them change, in order to see this happen, there are four objectives that, that need to take place. Okay, And we want to be people who are actually know where the person ought to go. Okay, If you don't know where to go, if this problem is bigger than you, you don't see in the Scriptures how this person needs to change, then ask for help. Okay, There are other people that are wiser than you. There are other people that are wiser than I. Right, And, and so we can ask these people for help. Find somebody in this church who's wiser than you with regard to the Scripture or maybe in this specific area of difficulty. Go talk to them and say, hey, listen, I've got this challenge. Obviously, um, you may have to talk about talk to the person that you're working with about confidentiality. You know, sometimes we like to, we like to ask for help. It's really we're, we're cloaking our gossip and asking for help. You know, the, the old, um, um, you know, kind of growing up, in, in my the church that I grew up at, you know, it'd kind of be like the prayer quest, you know, pray for this person, and it's really like some dirty detail that nobody else ought to be knowing, you know, and it's just a way for Christians to feel good about their their gossiping, you know, like they're really wanting God to help, and yet they're not even praying for the person on their own time or whatever. But we want to, okay, so we need to be careful about when we're asking for help, but but again, don't don't just pretend like you know where you're going. And then start offering help when it's not really help because you you don't even see what the correct path is. Okay, seek for help greater or tell the person, listen, you know, I, I've kind of come to as far as I can help you. I I can pray for you, 
And I'll continue to encourage you and check up on you and be, make you accountable. But, but you know, you need to go talk to, and then you know, some someone wiser than than you, someone that that has more experience in the scriptures. Suppose Eric and I arrive in India and and we get lost. Okay, would it be very helpful? I'm glad Margaret's not here. Okay, this is not going to happen. Probably it might, but God's in control, right? But but suppose Eric and I arrive and we get lost. Would it be helpful for me to turn to Eric and ask for directions? Eric, how do we get, you know? No, I need to find someone who hopefully speaks English who can help us find out where we need to go. Okay, so if someone is looking for change, we are not going to be helpful if we don't actually know, if we're, if we're like that traveler in India. Just, uh, I, I, I can't help you. Don't start giving directions. That's actually not helpful. That's the point. Okay, so if we need to lead them to change, here's how you can be that kind of person who actually does know the directions. Okay, there are four objectives. One is establish your personal ministry agenda. Two is clarify responsibility. And then next week we'll look at three and four, which are instill identity with Christ and provide accountability. So number one, establish your personal ministry agenda. Now, when we talk agenda, it sounds kind of negative, like we have some kind of ulterior motive. But really, we could describe an agenda as a plan for accomplishing a goal. Okay, So when you understand their problem properly, you've taken enough time to ask the right questions, and you've seen from the Scripture what needs to happen. Okay, They're here. They need to move to here. Now the next step is to establish your agenda. How are you going to get them here? Okay, there may be some obstacles for them to get where they need to be. And as I've mentioned before, a lot of times it's not as simple as, you know, just start doing right. Um, it, it requires that they put off and that they put on. And um, and I, I've used the example before of, you know, our sin often is like we're lowering ourselves down into a well. You know, and it's, it, it seemed kind of exciting and a little bit adventurous at one time. But now as we get down there, it's kind of dark and cold and and we don't want to be down there anymore. And so we ask for help, we call for help, and we just expect, hey, we're going to be back on the ground. Is that how it happens? No, that's not how sin, that's not how we get rid of sin, that's not how we change. It actually is going to take some time and, and be realistic with the person about that. Okay, Say, listen, okay, it's going to take some time. I need to get some more people over here to pull you up. I need to get some more people praying for you. I need... I need you to start. I need you to hold on tight. You can't loosen your grip on this rope because you're going to fall down farther, and it's going to be hard. Your your hands are going to be worn by the end of this, and and this may be a, something that is going to take you uh, a long time and perhaps the rest of your life. But we want to we want to have a a goal. So so start giving them some confidence that hey, this is where God's leading you. God God has some great things for you as you start on towards the struggle, towards um, getting out of the sin. We want to lead them to genuine change and have a prescribed path of how to get there. That's what we mean by agenda. So what should Harry do about a job that requires him to work 80 hours a week and is threatening his marriage? Okay, Now that we've talked about what it means to love and you know how we should think about our finances and you know who's ultimately in control of that, and he wants to change... Then, then what, what kind of steps do we need to give him 
kind of practical things can we help him with? All right, how, how can Anita live with uh, gospel hope after a crippling injury? What does love look like for Stephanie, who has three demanding toddlers? Hey, these are the kinds of questions that people are going to come to you and seek for answers. And sometimes they won't directly come in the form of a question, right? Sometimes they're just sharing what's going on in life and they're just pleading for help through their conversation, but, but no one seems to care. Okay, we want to help move them toward application of the biblical principles that we are confident uh, come from God. Okay, so we've we got to be careful about just getting them to understand the principle. It's not enough for them just to understand the principle. Okay, Stephanie, you got these three demanding toddlers and you need to you know, learn how to show love to them. Okay, do you see what love is in the Scripture? You start showing them the Scripture, take through a little study, and she sees it. Okay, but we haven't done our job yet because we need to help her move toward application. And I think that's what happens many times. That, that we know what the right, the right thing to do is. We know what God demands, where we're supposed to be on the path. But a lot of times, okay, and this is not because of incompetence or ignorance, um, as much as the person just doesn't know what to do. Okay, maybe I should say it this way: it's not as much about incompetence or insubordination. It's more about ignorance. Like we just need to help them. Listen, take this step here, and then come over here, and, and you'll be back on the right path. Okay, so establish a personal ministry agenda. We want to see genuine change. Here's some questions that will help us. Um, move them in that direction. Move us first in that direction and then help them. Okay, number one, what does the Bible say about the information that has been gathered? So, if you know what's going on, you will have had to gather information. So, what does the Bible say? What does God teach or promise or command or warn or encourage or expect about this particular situation? How would God be honored in this person living in this way? And then secondly, what are God's goals for change? For this person. All right, we looked at Ephesians 4 how not only must they put off the sin that they're committing, but they need to put on. So, someone, you know, if, like we've talked about before, a wife is being beaten by her husband, okay, her sin might not be contributing to that beating. She might not be responsible for that beating, but she actually can be responding in sin, can't she? You know, doubt about God and His care for her. She could be responding in uh, you know, maybe wanting to give up on the Christian faith, and so we want to, we want to help her. Okay, there is a sin that's being committed here, perhaps. You know that you're you're filled with worry, and and you need to entrust things to God, and and um, you know obviously that's a very difficult situation to work with. But but it's not just a putting off of move those things out of there, but putting on. Okay, what what needs to happen? How can you show love in this situation? All right. Um, all right, then thirdly, what are some biblical methods for accomplishing God's goal of change? So what does the Scripture say about the situation? What does it say about God's goals? And then what does it say about methods? Are there any specific prescribed methods that a person can move from the place of trouble to the place of safety or change? For example, suppose you have a husband who has spoken unkind words to his wife and the goal is to get him to speak what kind of words? Loving words, right? So the method would not be, okay, 
here I got a list of phrases, and I want you to use these throughout the day to your wife so that you can flatter her. And so he's saying things about her that he doesn't even mean, right? That doesn't help. That actually doesn't bring about change, and that's not going to solve the problem. Instead, we need to think about how does this person need to put off the unkind words and put on what needs to be said? How does he put on the loving words? And that's where we're we're trying to move. All right. Um, how do we apply these? Okay, think back to the example of Sharon and Ed. We talked about them several weeks ago. A um, fictitious illustration of a couple who were struggling. Sharon came, remember, and she was confident that change needed to happen in Ed. Right? Ed was the one who was was uh, was needing to change. She had committed to uh, she had two affairs during the time of their marriage. Since that time, remember, they had separate rooms, they ate at separate times, and they had separate bank accounts, right? So now let's think about, okay, we've taken the time to examine her situation, ask about it, and um, and now let's think about how we can apply these three questions so that now not only do we show Sharon that she needs to change as well as Ed, but but that, but that how she can get there, okay? So let's think about that with, by using these three questions. First, what does the Bible say about the information that has been gathered? Okay, what does the Bible say about the information that has been gathered? Okay, based on what you know of Sharon, is there any sin that's been involved on her part? Okay, adultery, right? Very clearly, she tries to brush that aside like, you know, he needs to change. He needs to accept me better. And yet she's she's missing out on that. Um Remember, Ed, Ed was the one who said, you know, she, you just need to go figure things out. I'm happy for you to go to a counselor. I'm not going to go, but you need to go figure things out. He was unwilling to talk. Obviously, um, you know, we, we would love to get an opportunity to talk with Ed, particularly if he's um, a member of the church. Sounds like Sharon is. Um, but she was confident the problem was in Ed, but she didn't see anything that she might have contributed to the situation. So let's work on that. Let's Let's help her to start to see her own sin because the Bible clearly does say some things about adultery, right? Okay, next, what um, what would we say that the problem is? What does the Bible say about these kinds of struggles? Yeah, so there's not really a loving relationship there. Um, it's really just a committed relationship. There's a difference. Right, uh, I don't know if you know of uh, couples that have been married for 30, 40 years, and yet they, you know, they just do it because hey, that's we're supposed to be married. We we can't be divorced, and they they do it on principle rather than on love. Like we're supposed to actually continue to love each other and to love each other more. Um, and so there needs to be a loving relationship there. Okay, what are God's goals for change for this person specifically? We don't have an opportunity to talk to Ed right now. We're talking to Sharon. So what kind of goals do you think God would have? Where where do you think God would want Sharon to end up? Okay, we're assuming that she's already saved. What's that? Okay, restored relationship. Probably starts out with just, listen, acknowledging your own self-righteousness and that you haven't contributed to any of this. Certainly, Ed may be at fault and he probably is. 
Uh, but what about forgiveness? Right? Do you think God would want Sharon to be a woman who forgives, like Christ forgave her sin? Um, maybe sacrificial service, productive communication, reconciliation, and maybe even doing good in the face of evil. And then what are some biblical methods of God's goal for change? Are there anything? Are there any ways in the Scripture that a person could move from a place of self-righteousness and independence from her husband to a place where she is recognizing her sin, willing to forgive and, and embrace her husband and seek to serve him? Okay. Yeah, what does the Bible say? Not about my husband. That's, that's the easy thing to study, right? Study about the other person. And <clears throat> let's see them start changing. No, let's see what the Bible says about me. Um, one of the things that I, I that has really helped me personally, I think about this all the time, when I struggle with um, frustration, um, is is the circle of responsibility. And if you can get a hold of this, this will help you enormously. Okay, this is your circle of responsibility. What do you think God would want you to do within your circle of responsibility? What would He expect you to do? Okay, obedience. Within the circle of responsibility, we need to obey Him. Okay, God has specific commands that He's told us to do. Okay, outside of our circle of responsibility, we could call this areas of concern. Here's what we like to do. We like to push the circle out here. We like to try to control all of this out here. We like to push our circle in and try to pass that off to other people. That's not my responsibility. That's your responsibility. And here's the big problem. All these areas outside of us, we can't actually control. We can only influence. We can influence through prayer. We can influence through encouragement. We can influence through exhortation, sometimes through rebuke. But we tend to want to be outside here. So, okay, let's take the Sharon and Ed one. Sharon's all out here, right? She's concerned about Ed. What, what's Ed doing? And now I need to get Ed in the right spot. And if, if he can be right, then I can do my circle better. Here's what God's teaching us. Our responsibility is to obey. We can't control what Ed does. We can control what we do. So here's what we do for the areas of concern. Instead of trying to control them, we entrust them to God. You see, our problem is that we like to have control in our lives. We like to have control of everybody in our lives. This this is applicable to your church. This is applicable to your family, to your children. This is applicable to your work relationships. I'm telling you, this, this is going to help you. The first time I saw it was in a book by Jerry Bridges, Disciplines of Grace. But I noticed that, and I had read this book before, but I never noticed that, that Paul Tripp had it in there as well. And it different. he stated it a diff, little bit differently. But, um, but if you can understand that inside my circle of responsibility, I must submit to God. So what is my responsibility within this relationship that's causing me trouble? What is my responsibility? Then I must obey God. So, so teach her that. Help her to see that. And then all these other things, Sharon, 
You can't have your hands in that. You can't control Ed. You can influence him, and that's part of your responsibility, right? You can influence him, but you can't control. And so entrust that God's going to work, um, and he's going to take care of that. Objective number two is to clarify responsibility. Um, We don't have time to go through all this, but sometimes what happens is people won't take responsibility for their actions. Okay, this is Sharon. Okay, she's irresponsible. She doesn't want to take responsibility. She wants to pass the the blame on someone else. Uh, Some people want to take responsibility for everything. These are the micromanagers or the busybodies. Right? They want to be in everybody's life. It's not just that they don't want they want to hole up and not do anything, it's that they want to do everybody else's thing. And for them you need to help them to see, you know, this this sort of concept. And then there are some that are just genuinely confused. They simply don't know what to do. They're like, you know, they see something out here and is this something in my responsibility or is it something in their responsibility? And so sometimes people are just genuinely confused and we need to help them see from a scriptural perspective. Christian life can be summed up in two words, trust and obey. And we don't have time to go to Romans 12, but there um, Paul talks about not retaliating, letting God be the avenger, the one who brings about revenge. Sometimes we think, well, revenge is is bad. Actually, no, it's it's okay to have revenge, but not for you. Okay, that's God's job. God's going to be the one who brings about judgment on those who have opposed Him. Okay, God's going to bring everyone to justice, justice. But at the same time, I still can't be passive. Just say, well, it's all up to God. God's going to do it all. Instead, I need to actively obey by showing love in my areas of responsibility and, and being obedient and personally submissive uh, to God with what He's told me to do. Okay, next week we're going to look at the next two aspects um, of of trying to lead a person to of change, change, and that is uh, instilling identity in Christ and providing accountability. Actually, next week, sorry, that'll be five weeks from from now. Any questions or comments? All right. Thank you for your attention today. Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed to our service. Father, I'm thankful for people in my life who understood um, the importance of speaking the truth to me in love. And I'm thankful for people in my life that continue to do that. And I pray that you'd help me to be that kind of person uh, for other people here in this church and within my family and within my other relationships, Lord. We want to honor You, and sometimes we go beyond the bounds of what You expect of us. Sometimes we bulk at our responsibilities and seek to punt in those cases. And so we pray that You'd help us take responsibility where we need to take responsibility and entrust the rest to You. We pray for Your help in Jesus' name. Amen.